Welcome to another episode of Filter. On this show, we recognize that the world can be a confusing place to live in. And so what I seek to do on this show is to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our confusing world so that you can face the chaos of life with wisdom, integrity, and courage. I'm glad to welcome to the show today, Barry Rowan. From a range of C-suite roles, Barry Rowan, a Harvard Business School graduate, has been instrumental in building and transforming eight businesses, primarily in the technology and communication space. In addition, he serves on corporate university and nonprofit boards. Rowan and his wife, Linda, have two adult sons and live in Denver. Rowan, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Aaron. Great to be here. Yeah, well, glad to have you on. I've been looking forward to getting to talk to you. Uh, As we were talking about right before we jumped on, uh, whenever I first looked up your bio on IVP's website, it's really long. Uh, you've done a lot, even in the short bio, as it says, you've been a part of uh, several businesses. So before we jump into talking about our main topic today, just share with us your story and uh, what you've done over the course of your life. Uh, and uh, and yeah, yeah, t- tell us a little bit more about that bio. Sure. Let me give you the external view, and then I'll give you a little bit of the internal view, which we can get into more later. But externally, so... Uh, I grew up on a ranch in Idaho where my parents were both veterinarians and thought I would be a doctor and uh, have a degree in chemistry and biology as a result of that. I love the science, love the idea of helping people, but I really became enamored with this idea of leverage. And I thought, you know, a doctor's contribution is limited to the eight or 10 hours a day that they work. And I thought if we're working toward the right set of goals, our contribution is multiplied by the number of people we have working together toward those goals. And that literally was the reason I went into business. I knew nothing about business. So then mm. uh, I went back to business school and I spent, as you mentioned, the last 40 years having to build or turn around eight different businesses. So part of my career has been as a CEO president and then was the chief financial officer for four public companies. Uh, six out of the eight businesses were successful, uh, one selling for $10 billion, uh, two were not successful. And I often talk about the ones that were not because I think We learn a lot more from our failures, and I think that's a place where God meets us in very profound ways. So that's kind of the external bio. Internally, I really came to a surrendered faith out of a crisis of meaning and work in my late 20s. I'd gone to church my whole life uh, and really loved God, revered God, but did not have what I would describe as really a a submitted, surrendered relationship to Him. And that came out of this crisis of meaning and work. And uh, out of that, I, did, I decided that I would take Jesus seriously and believe who he says he is. And if you're going to do that, I think we have to follow his command to give up everything we have to be his disciples. So basically on a run around the lake by our house when I was almost 30, I did that and said, Lord, I put my life in your hands. And But if there were heel marks in the sand, I would tell you that. <laughs> I kind of came kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. And, but that um, still didn't answer the question of meaning and work. And that would take another eight years and 350 pages in a journal to sort through all that and to really realize that I was just looking at work all wrong. And God took me through what I would describe as a succession of paradigm shifts, a couple of dozen things I had wrong. And that, mm. in many ways, is the heart of the book that we're going to talk more about today. So uh, so I have a, a profound interest in living one life under God and to have our to bring meaning to our work and to have every moment of our lives be charged with the meaning that only God can provide. 
Yeah, that's excellent. So you mentioned several paradigm shifts that you had to make to still really help connect your faith to your work. Um, what were some of those paradigm shifts? Uh, particularly, what was what was the incorrect assumptions or paradigms that you're living with before that had to be changed? And do you think some of those paradigms that you're holding before, do you see those reflected in a lot of people in our culture beyond, or were they just unique to your own experience? No, I think to take the last part of your question first, there's a lot of commonality uh, in those paradigms that we all wrestle with. And I think what is most deeply true for us individually is often most universally true for others. And as I talk to many, many people around the world about this, I've discovered that that it really is the case. And I'll give you a couple of examples of those paradigms. And one of the fundamental ones was I was looking at life from the outside in instead of from the inside out. I thought, you know, if I just get the right job, then I'll be filled up. And if I achieve, and I'm kind of a wind-up toy for achievement, you know, if I just achieve one more thing, that achievement will fill me up. And that was just wrong. Uh, and that's really the deeper truth is that we don't live life from the outside in. We live life from the inside out. And the corollary to that is that... Um, that I was trying to derive meaning from my work instead of bringing meaning to the work. I thought, again, if I just got the right job, that's going to be the source of the work. And what I really came to understand was that that it's God's perspective of our work that brings meaning to it. And and the onus is on us, particularly in jobs like business, where there's less of what you might think is intrinsic value. To, the onus is on us to bring that meaning to the work. So if, for example, you're, you're a nurse or a doctor or a pastor or a social worker or some of those kinds of jobs, it's, it's apparent why we're doing that. And there's a lot of what you could say is intrinsic value. I've come to conclude that, there, that the kind of work we do, uh, even if it's in business, uh, any of it can be holy. And there's not a hierarchy in that. But the the less sort of intrinsic value there is in, in, in the work that we do and the nature of the work we do, the more the responsibility is on us to develop a life-giving perspective of that work as seen through the eyes of God. And so that was a very fundamental uh, thing I had wrong, was I was just looking through the telescope through the, long, the wrong end. Mm. Um, you mm -hmm. know, another one that I had wrong was um, I was trying to fit God into my plans instead of being willing to submit to his plan. And once I... So and then that led to this question about, well, does God even exist first? And I concluded, you know, as the lawyers would say, based on the preponderance of the evidence, I think it's more likely than not that he does exist. But for me at the time, it wasn't like a 95-5 decision. It was more like 70-30. But I thought, no, I'm going to put all my weight down on that, on that conclusion. Uh, but then having come to that conclusion, is okay, that well then does God have a plan, you know, and as we get to know him and his scripture more that he does, uh, he knows he has the plan. He knows the plans he has for us and to prosper us and and to follow his son. And so so as those pieces began to click together and I realized that I, I my role was to fit myself into God's plans, that began to open up a whole new spectrum of opportunity and really gave God permission to do his work in me. I think that's why surrender for me is is the starting point for the spiritual journey is it it gives us God who is the creator of the universe, but is so gracious and will not impose himself on us the permission to to uh, infuse himself in our lives and bring that meaning to them that we so keenly desire. Yeah, so you mentioned trying to find value in your work that you instead had to learn to bring to your work. If we could just flesh that out a little bit more, if you were to name that value, what, what was that value that you were looking for 
from your work that you instead needed to bring to your work? Because I think that might help people who are listening and, and struggling with something similar, but are um, they know they're discontent, but they're unable to name what the discontent is, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, if you had to well, name, what was that value? Yeah, well, I thought that, um, again, I thought that if I just had the right job, it will fill me up. So I had the, the, the emphasis on the wrong syllable, right? I mean, I was looking at, at it just completely in the wrong way. And, and the nature of the work can never fill us up. God alone can fill us up. So, hmm. so what I concluded out of that and the way that kind of the life-giving perspective of my work that I ended up developing was uh, to contribute to a better society is seen through the eyes of God. So that became my working job definition. And the way I kind of came onto this actually was I was on, a, uh, on one of those shuttle buses from the outlying parking lot at an airport, you know, where all the cheapskates parked like me. And I was on that bus with a bunch of my fellow cheapskates and uh, there was this woman who was driving the bus probably in her late thirties and, and she was joyful. And, you know, you, you've all seen those drivers and most of them are zombies, right? And who wouldn't be? You're doing the same loop eight hours a day, just so repetitive. But she seemed to love her job. And I was the last of the cheapskates to get off the bus. And I said, could I ask you a question? And she said, sure. I said, do you like your job? She said, I love my job. And I said, well, what do you like about your job? She said, I meet interesting people going interesting places. And I thought, you know, if she can develop this life-giving perspective of her work in a job like that, surely I, as the chief financial officer of a public company at the time, can do that. But I could not do it. It took me a couple of years to kind of really be able to articulate it in a way that was honoring and uh, truthful for me. And that when it, that's when I arrived at this understanding that that um, my job definition is to contribute to a better society as seen through the eyes of God. And then when I came to that understanding, it was like, well, okay, I, God has called me to follow him. So I accepted Jesus' invitation to come follow me, but where he has led me is into business. So then what is the distinctive about business uh, in terms of contributing to a better society as seen through the eyes of God? And I then was able to articulate that. And we could have a wonderful long discussion about that. But there are really, I think, four things that are distinctive about business. One is responsible value creation. You know, not that money is a solution to the world's problems, but but economic value is the uh, it's a hallmark of a well-functioning society because it's evidence that people are released to achieve their potential. And I don't mm -hmm. know if people have ever thought about this, but in many ways, business is the only creator of economic value. Everything else distributes it. And so that's a very distinctive role that we in business have to play. Um, mm -hmm. Second is creating jobs, you know, that enables people to live into the full expression of themselves and to grow into that place that God has called us to be. And if you do the math, we'll work about 100,000 hours in our lifetime. And you know, that's a lot of hours to go home feeling unfulfilled or you know, yeah. do whatever we do to, to take out our frustration. So responsible value creation, uh, creating jobs, uh, serving customers. You know, when we're serving our customers, we're serving God because God is embedded in every human being and, and being a good corporate citizen. So when I was at uh, Vonage, for example, we uh, provided voice over the internet. And when the tsunami hit Japan, when I was there, we offered free calling to, to Japan, which was something we could do. And it's just being a good corporate citizen. So when I began to see those values that business could bring to society, then uh, it all the pieces clicked together so that every moment then becomes an opportunity to live on purpose. And I can make the connection between, you know, silly example that was kind of the test for me between uh, somebody on our team developing a, doing a formula in an Excel spreadsheet, and how does that connect to my purpose in life? Mm -hmm. Well, I could now see that because let's say they're doing a 
a business model for a strategic plan. Well, you want to get the formula right so the strategy is right. And this, if the strategy is right, we can execute on it so the business can fulfill its literally a noble and God-ordained um, purpose in society. So then I could see how every moment could connect to to me, what was my central purpose in life. So that is the way that God has brought meaning to my work is that perspective of work. And so I yeah. would just encourage people, take the time to develop a life-giving perspective of your work as seen through the eyes of God. That there's, we can either have a life-draining or a life-giving perspective. You can drive that shuttle bus and say, I hate this job and I'm doing it for the money and, and uh, I can't wait to get off at five o'clock. You can say, I meet interesting people going interesting places. You're still driving the shuttle bus, but it drew, so the way what happened to me was I changed jobs without changing business cards as I went through this experience. And I was still in the same seat, but the way I looked at my work just massively changed really the, the job that I was performing. Mm. How long would you say it took you to make these paradigm shifts? In my own experience and working with others, I find that it usually doesn't happen overnight. Well, no, it, it certainly didn't happen overnight. And yeah. for me, in retrospect, it was a 17-year struggle. The wow. seeds of the struggle were sown in college when I was trying to figure out a major, like I talked about. Do I be a doctor or should I go into business? And um, But then I realized that you know this kind of uneasy tension existed within me, this, this what love of God on the one hand and this steely strong will on the other hand. And so... God had to come into the place of reconciling those. And, but it was really after surrendering my life to Christ and he gave, uh, giving him permission, as I said, to do his work in me. It was another eight years that, that I went through those questions and I wrote 350 pages in my journal, mostly in the middle of the night. But, you know, I embraced that challenge and that, the essence of that challenge is what is embodied in the book uh, that has come out this week. So, yeah. so you know, the, what I really find is that if we embrace the pain, God gives purpose to the pain. And, you know, he's not a sadist that, that every moment of every day, every, even our biggest challenge and especially our biggest challenges conspire uh, to shape us into the shape that he wants to make us into that those challenging times, even an eight year struggle to find meaning work are the strong thumbs of the potter pressing on the clay to make it into that shape. And if you're a strong willed guy like me, you know, it takes a lot of pressure to, um, reshape that hardened clay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's so good. Um, you know, cause just as you're speaking, I'm thinking about, so I'm in my early thirties and, uh, most of my friends are, uh, around the same age as me, you know, they're, uh, in their mid or later thirties, you know, my church has a lot of people in their, uh, twenties, late twenties. And I, I just hear a lot of the same struggles as what you're describing now. And I've had a lot of the same conversations, you know, so I'm just thinking through those things and, um, you know, and so one of the questions I'm thinking of that I talk with people off, talk about with people often is, you know, so what if we, what if I accept everything that you're saying? I fully agree. I believe it. And I'm working my darndest you know, to, to do it, to bring the value instead of trying to get the value out of it. But you know, I still, I still have times where I'm dissatisfied with my work. I still have times where I question, you know, I'm, I'm not going to my work to get my value. I'm going to the Lord to get, to really be filled, but it just still feels like, um, I might not be in the right spot or I'm just, I still have this dissatisfaction with, uh, with this role or this city or, and, and so on. And so how do you discern between, you know, it's, 
I'm looking to get value out of the job instead of bringing that to the job versus, you know, it might be God's calling to, uh, to change roles, change, uh, companies. Um, I'm hoping or I'm not hoping, I think you do have a good answer. Cause you, uh, you were with, uh, was it eight different companies over your career? So, you know, you, you changed, uh, a few times. So yeah. What would you say to someone who's wrestling with, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best to soak all this up into my heart, but still fighting some dissatisfaction and just wondering, uh, could God be leading me to make a change? Sure. No, it's a really important question. And I guess a few perspectives I would offer that first is, um, uh, work is a noble profession in that, you know, if you look at Genesis, God designed work before the fall, not after mm -hmm. earth was created. And there was no one to till the earth. So, so God our work is an expression of us as we are made in the image of God. So, so I think that's important to recognize is that work is a, is a noble um, dimension of our lives. Having said that work is still work. You know, there are parts of every job that we don't like to do. And, and I'm sure you have, you know, at least 3% of your job that you would prefer not to do, but it just comes with the territory. And, and so I think just having a maturity about that is important. So, so just kind of recognizing that work is noble, but that it also carries with it challenges and that they will always be there. Um, having said that, when you come into this place of, okay, am I in the right job or should I change job? To me, the very first and most important thing to do is, is to go to God, you know, our dear Lord has a perspective of every moment. And if we submit ourselves to him and listen to him, uh, it will clarify over time. Uh, I think a temptation, particularly people at your age or in their twenties, which was true of me too, is to, is to want to jump ship. I mean, I spent the latter half of my twenties. I didn't change jobs, but I spent six of the eight years. I was at my first company, basically looking for what I should do besides what I was doing. And gratefully, I didn't change job, but I was trying to buy businesses five different times. I tried to have my own business. My wife and I did that we could, after coming to faith, found and operate on the principles of God, and none of them worked out. And finally, you know, being a, a hard-headed guy, I was, you know, maybe this is really not what God wants. And, and in fact, for me, the conclusion was that would have been too easy. I realized that I was trying to create a world that I could control, uh, even if it was for the God's purposes. And he was inviting me to work in a world that was completely beyond my control and invited me into much bigger jobs and businesses that, uh, that I would have been able to have a chance to contribute to had we done it on our own. So, so it's a process of discovery. Um, but I think I would be, I would encourage people to not just jump ship. I would encourage people to frankly, stay in the pain. You know, when we're in struggle, the temptation is to skirt around the edge of the struggle to make the black a little bit gray because it, why? Because it's painful, right? But in my experience, the real solution is to make the black blacker than black, to go right through the center of the pain and to just enter into that pain with our Lord through a prayer of what I call immersion. Lord, I'm gonna immerse myself in these circumstances and I'm gonna immerse myself in you and by doing that, you will meet me where I am. And you know, God is, he is the great I am. And the only place we can really meet him uh, that I, is just as I am, you know, buck naked, um, just as I am with all of the foibles, with the things I'm wrestling with, with the questions, with the confusion. But if we stay in that place, God will meet us there. And I would just add one other piece, and that is a paradigm shift that I've had to go through back to your previous question is, there's a big difference between striving and abiding. 
you know, particularly for kind of high octane people who are wired for achievement, it's about striving. And even if it's striving to become uh, a better follower of Jesus or a more complete human being, but that's our, our kind of innate tendency, the deep, the, the better way and the, the, the way to go to, full, to achieve our fulfillment is not striving, but abiding, you know, abide in me and I will abide in you. Rest, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. And and so for me, that's very, very practical. It's very tangible. And so 90% of my prayer is listening. Lord, I just come to you. I'm confused. I don't know what to do. I'm angry with this person. I don't know if there's, if it's justified anger, if it's, if it's my fault, what would you, what, in what ways would you want to work the yeast more fully through the dough? And and uh, if you, in, in good conscience, I think work through that process and come to a place of understanding with what God might have us do. You know, sometimes he calls us to say, and sometimes he calls us to leave. And uh, it's a process of discernment. But the process itself is um, is a great gift. You know, as Oswald yeah. Timber says, you know, we call the process, God calls the the result or the purpose. So, mm. yeah, that's good. That's good. And it is all too tempting to just want to, um, get out of the discomfort and escape the process because when you're in the middle of it, it's, it's not real fun, but yeah, that's a good word. Um, you know, I, whenever you're, um, you're working and you have a family and you're serving in your church and you've got a lot of irons in the fire, you know, as people say, it can be really difficult to hold on to this God-centered perspective about all the things that you're doing and just start to get caught up in the things. And so I imagine that for you over the course of your career and through doing this work, helping others, you had to learn how to um, put boundaries around, uh, around work, around different things in your life, learn to say no to certain things in order to protect that perspective. And so can you walk us through, like, how did you maintain and perspect this, I guess what I'm calling a, a God-centered approach, or you've called the spiritual art to business. Um, what are some of the things that you had to say no to? And what are the things that you put boundaries around? How did you discover those? And then how did you execute them? Yeah, well, it is a really important question. Yeah, and, um, I mean, for all your listeners who are probably many of whom are in their 20s and 30s, I have bad news for you. It's only going to get worse. It's going to get much harder. <laughs> You're, you're challenging people. Uh, there will be more and more demands on your time. You'll get asked to do more and more things. It, it only gets worse. It really does. So, so the sooner you can understand this and really live a life that is aligned with your sense of balance and congruence, the better. So I would, let me start by offering kind of two ways to look at this. Uh, there's kind of a vertical dimension and a horizontal dimension. The vertical dimension is, is congruence. It's what, am I, it's what I am doing in this moment tied to my purpose in life. And that is, was the biggest challenge for me. And that's a lot of what this book is about is I had such a hard time making those connections and having that connectivity between what I'm doing in this present moment and my purpose in life. But, but let's set that aside for a second, but it's really important to get that right, you know, to, to have this life-giving perspective of your work. The horizontal one is balance, you know, which is how much time do I spend alone with the Lord? How much time do I spend with my significant other, uh, my wife and I've been married for 42 years and, uh, you know, we've moved 16 times and, and uh, I've been to 49 countries. And so we've had a very active life. And, and um, so it's really important to stay connected, you know, when you're in that role. So, so how much time do I spend with the Lord, with my wife, with our two sons uh, at work, uh, serving in the community? And, 
you know, I, I learned this lesson the hard way that when I was uh, 30, our, our first son was born and I came home from work and he was about six months old and I thought I was having a heart attack and I came home and, and Linda was there with Mark and, and uh, she said, well, you better drive yourself to the hospital. I'm here with our little boy, you know, I got to stay here. So I did. So I drove myself to the hospital, they drove me a shot or whatever, gave me a shot of whatever they give you and gave me Benadryl because I broke out in hives in the space of about 15 minutes, completely covered my body. And I thought, wow. what is going on? And the same thing happened the next night. I thought, wow, I have never had this happen before. And as Lynn and I talked about it, uh, we realized it was stress. And the source of the stress was the way I was spending my time was not the way I wanted to be spending my time. Before our son was born, we were both working 60 to 80 hours a week and we wanted to. We were investing in our careers. We loved it. We worked together on the weekends. We also skied 25 days a year. So it was kind of a work hard, play hard life. But now I wanted to be home with Mark. And um, so I realized that was a source of attention that I was a, I was a slave to um, to the demands on my time. It's, I had it inverted, right? There's a difference between whether we are, we are a slave to them or a master of them, right? Hmm. And, and I was a slave to those demands on my time. And so I looked at my calendar. I was spending eight to 10 hours a day on meetings. I would do all of, quote, my work at the end of the day or on the weekends. And I said to my assistant, we've just got to fix this. So, so Lynn and I, uh, we wrote down what we thought was balance for us. Again, that horizontal perspective. And uh, it was working 50 to 55 hours a week. It was uh, exercising three to four days a week. It was praying every day. It was being home for dinner every night when I was in town. It was traveling 30% of the time or less. I had jobs that I could travel 100% of the time, but then I knew if I traveled too much. And then it was uh, not committing to any more than two civic boards at a time. And, and uh, so that became balance for us. And I yeah. carried that little three by five card around in my my folio for 20 years and I didn't have to carry it really, but I just wanted it as a reminder yeah. and it wasn't yeah. that way every week, but over time it was, I mean, that's basically how we, we realized it. And if I was getting out of whack, Linda say, you know, you're, you're traveling a little too much. The kids need you, need you more. Or if somebody would say, Barry, would you be on this board? And I would say, you know, I have this silly little rule that um, I've said I could only do two civic boards at a time. And as Stephen Kelly says, to paraphrase him, it's easy to say no when you have a stronger yes burning inside of you. So yeah. I would say to the person asking, I said, you know, I've said yes to my family. I've said yes to doing a good job at work. That means I can't say, that means I have to say no to a lot of things. But so I'm going to have to say no because my dance card is full. But, you know, come back to me in a year when this board term expires. So, so most of your listeners have infinite jobs because they're talented people. And so the challenge is figuring out what is balance. How, how much time do you want to give to work and to other things? And uh, uh, while still doing a, a great job with excellence, but, but if without being clear, you know, the, the world will determine what balance is for us and we'll end up in the ditch. I mean, we'll just yeah. end up uh, distorted, contorted, unhappy, and uh, and we'll be living by the world's standards and and it will just never lead to happiness and and in fact the last point on that which i think i've only come to realize recently and we don't use this word very often but holiness is a source of happiness and as we come to live more and more within the divine design uh, we come into this place of sustaining joy and peace for a guy like me that does not come naturally to you know i Gratitude does not come naturally to me because I'm much more focused on what's left to be done and what 
um, what has been done or to just enjoy the present moment. And, and, uh, but that is what happens over time is because we're living in conformance with the divine design. We're living in intimacy with the living God that we realize that it's not to, up to us to change the world, that we are not the Messiah of the world. And as we come to really live those truths, um, we come into this place of profound peace and, and, uh, and joy. So, so that's my encouragement. You know, if I were to say something to, to the very Rowan of his late twenties, early thirties, that's what I would say. Mm. That's really good. You know, I like to joke with people that I have the spiritual gift of saying no, it's not difficult for me to uh, set those boundaries and, and say no, but I know that there's people who are not the same, not built the same way. You know, it's very difficult to say no. My wife is one of those people. She'll often, there's something that she knows she has to say no to, but she'll still ask me like, Hey, do you yeah. think that I can do this or I should do this just so that I can say no for her as like, kind of like a help, you <laughs> yeah, know, it, yeah. it's like, I, or, I don't know if it's so that she can put the blame on me or it, if it's like a, a, a morale thing, but, uh, you know, but yeah. Well, you raise a really important point there, which is what is right or wrong for an individual depends on our starting point. And mm. what can be right for one is wrong for another. I mean, I kind of use the picture of Mount Rainier in Seattle. We used to live there. And if you've ever been to Seattle, Mount Rainier is 14,000 feet and it comes up from sea level. So it's visible, you know, for 100 plus miles around. Well, if you're starting uh, from a point that is east of Mount Rainier, consider Mount Rainier sort of the truth or the right thing to do or righteousness, whatever word you want to give it. Mm. If you're starting from the, from the east, the right way to go to that truth is to go west, right? But if you're starting from the West, the right way to go to that truth is East. So if it's easy for you to say no, it might be something to pay attention to is, do I say no too easily? Or am I, are my boundaries, my boundaries are not God's boundaries for me? Or if it's harder for you to say no, and you know, like your wife, then okay, what would it take for me to say no? And then to come to an understanding of what our stronger yeses are that enable us to say no. So, so it's really an important point because uh, we tend sometimes to fall in this trap of kind of having a cookie cutter and saying, oh, this is how God works. Or I, my name is Barry Rowan. I have a plan for your life, right? Mm -hmm. It is not how it works. And you know, God created us each uniquely and distinctly. And the journey is unique and distinct for each of us. Yeah. Wow. That's good. What do you think, um, you know, so God he institutes in creation and then he commands in the 10 commandments and it's in other places in scripture that, uh, that he has a Sabbath built in for us. And so it's a part of the fabric of creation. Um, it becomes a part of the life of Israel and then it becomes something that's supposed to be a part of the life of the Christian as well. Uh, what do you think is the relevance of God's, uh, command and creation of the Sabbath? What is the relevance of Sabbath to, um, the spiritual art of business? And, uh, and I don't mean just the book, but your message of the book and, and, and living sure. it out in life. Do you, or do you think there's a connection and uh, importance there? Oh, there's a total connection. And, you know, if the creator of the universe uh, took time to rest, uh, should we not take time to rest, particularly because we are made in his image? And so needing to rest is a part of our design. And, and I think this frenetic society that we're in, it's evidence of our uh preoccupation with ourself and our self-aggrandizement frankly is because we we think oh we're so important we can't rest or i don't need it or we don't have the discipline and so for me it's uh taking time alone with god be it a sabbath day or or time alone more broadly is really important and but just as some encouragement it's a, for me it's been a process that has grown over time so 
taking time to be alone with God and to pray started as 10 minutes a day for me. I had this little book called The Upper Room, and it had a little story and a little scripture, and I would spend 10 minutes with it. And for me, the progression has gone from discipline to craving to now it's a responsibility to get this time alone with God and to and to rest. And so I started 10 minutes a day, and then I did the spiritual exercises in everyday life when I was in the early 40s. And uh, that a part of that was meeting with a spiritual director once a week and praying an hour a day. And that's when I really learned listening prayer. And and then I took a purposeful pause back to the point about rest, whether it's weekly or over longer periods of time. I've been working flat out for 25 years. And and uh, I looked at my wife and said, I just need rest. You know, I am just fried. And we'd sold one of the businesses and it was a, you know, it was a successful business. We sold for 10 billion. And, and I thought, you know, I'm going to just take a, a purposeful pause. And the theme of that, that pause was don't slur the rest. You know, our kids uh, learn to play music. And when you're first learning to play music, music you just slur the rest. You there's, but what you realize as more accomplished musicians, and I'm not one, <laughs> it's not one of my talents, but the rest is what gives the richness to the music. And so the theme was, don't slur the rest. Let God breathe fully into that rest. And uh, so I did. It ended up being three and a half years that I was out of work. But I, uh, and then after a couple of years, I went back to an executive role because I felt so strongly about what we're talking about here, which is the power of business to contribute to a better society. That Lynn and I both said, you know, I think I should go back to work. I was my, you know, I was 50 when I took the pause. Um, but I went on an eight day silent retreat as a part of that. And it was a profound experience for me. I realized that God alone can meet us in the place of our deepest longing. And, and then I ended up during a week long silent retreat almost every year, even in the midst of turning around businesses. Um, mm -hmm. I, as you pointed out, I was involved with um, building or turning around eight different businesses over 40 years. And I did that except for a couple of years when, when uh, the last business, it was at GoGo that we put internet on airplanes and it just got too intense and I couldn't take that time. But, and then to kind of, culminate it. I, and I know most people can't do this at their stage, but I did the one thing on my bucket list uh, this April. I actually retired from a corporate life in a, in March and we're launching this encore calling beginning with this book. Hmm. Uh, but the one thing on my bucket list was to do a month long silent retreat. So I did that for the month of April, the month after I finished my corporate career. And it was the most profound and life-giving month of my life. Aaron. And uh, many times I just since God saying, Barry, thank you for giving me this much space to love you so deeply. Mm. And I just experienced the love and the leadership of God. And why would we not take that time, whether it's, you know, 10 minutes a day, an hour a day, a day a week, perhaps doing, doing a month long retreat, but it's the place where God not only restores our soul, but he shows us the work he is doing in our soul and he was constructing our soul. And you know, there's this beautiful verse in Isaiah that as a young man marries a young woman, so your builder will marry you. And this image that God is our builder. And ultimately, we've drawn into this uh, spousal relationship with Jesus that is just beyond our imagination. So why not take the time to, to do that uh, and to let God show us how he's using his work to do his work in us, for example. If we don't take that time, in my experience, we can't see. And so that time gives us the eyes to see and it restores our energy and uh, it hones and it's like sandpaper on our soul. It sensitizes us 
to the things of God. And so um, without that, just running flat out all the time, we become like Martha versus Mary, who was uh, worried and distracted by many things. And well, it's like, you know, when Jesus thinks about the lost sheep, you know, he leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one. Well, think about that not as individuals, but we have a hundred sheep within us. And there are parts of us that are also scattered. And mm. that God, Jesus needs to go out and retrieve them. And for me, those sheep are stuck in a swamp somewhere, you know? <laughs> and, and if I don't give him time to go and fetch those sheep and bring the herd back together to collect myself and center myself around him, the sheep end up scattered. And I live this life of, that is dissipated and entropic. You know, I have a degree in chemistry. Entropy is, you know, it's kind of one of the laws of the, the universe is that things tend to randomness. And so if we don't, if we don't take the time with God, our lives will tend to randomness uh, as opposed to meaning and centeredness. Mm. That is so good. So how do you think the, the, uh, the church, well, you know, that's really broad. I mean the church, but local churches, how can local churches better serve, equip, and teach the message of the spiritual art of business to their members uh, so that, you know, we can see a, a revolution or a reformation, we can say, of Christians working in the marketplace today? Yeah, well, first, I believe in the priesthood of all believers, right? I mean, I believe that all of us are called to full-time ministry, whether you're a pastor of a church or not. Uh, if you're a pastor of a church, you have a unique opportunity, a responsibility, a calling to help us live into that. So just to be very practical about it, um, I think you can get the book. I mean, that's a very practical thing to do and, mm -hmm. and start some small groups. There's a discussion guide that goes with this with the book that is designed for people to meet five times. So the book is divided into four main sections. That is the journey of the soul. Um, and then the fifth the fifth meeting of a, a small group would be to say, well, how do you integrate this? And the book, by the way, is not, I don't really think of it as a book. I think of it as an invitation to experience God. It's 40 days, 40 short chapters start with the scripture. There's most of the little stories or foibles of my own career and then reflecting questions. And so take the time to ponder those questions, use them to draw into this conversation with God. And, and so I think, you know, the very, I had a friend tell me early in my um, my spiritual journey to say, if it doesn't work for you, don't export it. And I think sometimes, so the role of a pastor is make sure it works for you. Do what you need to do to be living for God fully at every moment and take have the ability to connect the daily with the divine. And as you're able to do that, people will see that. Uh, they will resonate with that. They'll say, oh, I want some of that. because, but it, Because otherwise it's just preaching from the head versus... And it's, again, kind of outside in versus if you're living it, it flows from the inside out, as in Colossians, you know, uh, the mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages, that Christ in you, the hope of glory. And as we begin to live that, as we become less and Jesus becomes more in us, so it's no longer I who live, but Christ living in us, he in us is expressed in everything we do, whether it's, it's speaking at, at the pulpit, whether it's changing the diapers of our kids, whether it is meeting a friend for a beer, whatever that is, everything we do is, is the opportunity to express Christ in us. And, you know, God is love. So that's how it will show up and what it'll look like to other people. And, you know, people have very well-trained hypocrisy meters. And so if it's, if it's not being lived, uh, if it's being spoken and there's a disconnect between what we say and what we do, uh, people will just 
shut it off. So the most important thing to do, I think, is to is for pastors and for people who want to live this way is to live this way and to enter into that place of doing it, recognizing that we none of us do it perfectly. And you know, whoever claims to be without sin is a liar, as John told us. It's very direct. Mm. You know, so we're all on the journey. I mean, I'm 66, so I'm older than a lot of your listeners, perhaps. But I am I feel like in many ways I'm just starting the journey. I'm just accepting and reaccepting this invitation from Jesus. Come follow me into this future that I will unfold for you. It's beautiful. Mm. Yeah. So what will be the the big takeaway that you hope readers gain after uh, picking up and going through the spiritual art of business? Well, whether they're in business or not, I hope that what they will take away is um, uh, the sacredness of our work and for uh, all of our work, whether it's our careers, we think about career or being a stay-at-home mom or whatever it is, that everything has the opportunity to be an expression of our faith and uh, and work the 100,000 hours we will work in that career is one of those. But that's what I, really what I hope people take is that every moment of every day can be an opportunity, an opportunity to live fully for God uh, in a way that will bring meaning to our lives and bring meaning to our work. Mm. Yeah, that's good. I had a mentor once who taught that uh, and he would use a graph and he would, you know, it was a, uh, a circle uh, cut into a pie you know so there's lines and uh and he said okay let's just describe everything that you do and so well there's my relationship with god so god goes in one slice and then he was like well then, then there's my work and that goes another slice and my hobbies another slice my family and so on and he said this is how most of us live our life but instead what we need to do is this and he would change the image to uh remove all the lines out of the pie and put god in the middle and say so our relationship with God is not just one piece separated from the rest of our life, but it should integrate and be something that's lived out in all of our life, um, discerning his presence, guiding and leading. And so uh, I think of that whenever you talk about, whenever you share Actually, that message. I think your mentor is a very wise person. And I, and I, just to build on what you said, I think about my life and our lives in concentric circles with God at the center. And it goes from God to us as individuals, to our family, to society. And and then Christ gets expressed in all of those things. And I I, ha I actually have drawn my life that way. I, I organize my computer files that way. Uh, and there it's there are things at the center, and then there's family. And as part of family is a husband, dad, steward, pop, I'm never gonna do that. Uh, and then in the, in the outer circle, it's business leader, it's a civic leader, it's a friend, it's a friend of the poor. We're very involved with um, helping the poor. We've made 22 trips to Central America to help bring clean water to the poor, for example. So wow. all of those flow from, from God as the fountainhead and into everything. It infuses everything we did, you know. So, so I think for me, it's a very helpful way to look at it. And, and it's a very tangible way to look at it. Like I said, I organize my, I organize my to-do list that way. The one for today has, has uh, you know, inside out and people to call and things to do on, on one side or the other side. So it, it it's a very helpful way to think about it. Yeah. Well, we have a little bit of time left. Before we go, you mentioned something just offhand a moment ago, uh, an encore calling, uh, something related to the launch of the book. Do you want to share about that before we go? Sure. So, yeah. So I, as you know, spent 40 years in a business career as a, as a business executive, building and turning around businesses. Uh, 
I retired from the last one of those in March of this year. I've retired from that, but I have not retired from life. So, so my wife, Lynn, and I describe it as an encore calling. And we, we think this last part of our lives is an act of complete generosity. Hopefully the rest of our lives have been also, but particularly in this season. And we think of it, uh, the encore calling as lines of service. So we talked about the expression of this. So this is the outer part of the circle and the lines of, so we're investing in, in, uh, it starts with prayer and we're investing in the family um, and the poor and the next generation. And the lines of service are serving on corporate and nonprofit boards. They're writing, speech, speaking, teaching, holistic accompaniment. Uh, and that's really how we see ourselves spending our lives. And, and we've developed a website that you can go to at uh, barryllrowan.com that lays out some of these lines of service and that, but that's really what we plan on dedicating the rest of our life to. Uh, my dad's turning 100 this month, and he wow. and my mom were both veterinarians. And my dad hung up his license uh, when he was 96. So he's kind of my model. And I think we're designed to, to make a contribution for the whole of our lives. And I love to play golf and ski, but the thought of doing that, you know, and nothing else would drive me crazy. And I think it's not, I don't think Moses relied on his 401k for the last 20 years of his life. I think we're designed to leave it all on the field. Mm. Wow, that's good. And what a great vision for all of us to aspire to, especially those uh, in my age demographic and many of you in the audience who are uh, who are still young or you know closer to middle age like me. Well, Barry, this has been just an excellent conversation. I've really enjoyed every minute of it. And uh, so I just want to thank you for taking the time. I want to thank you for your book, The Spiritual Art of Business. If you guys want to pick up a copy of Barry's new book, I will have it linked in the show notes below. So make sure just uh, go into the description of this podcast or if you're on YouTube, the YouTube description. I'll have a link there and you can pick up a copy uh, for yourself to go through uh and also if you would like to do it with a group as barry mentioned earlier uh maybe get a couple of people together to uh go through it so i'll have it linked there for you guys so you can so that you can find it and uh and, and enjoy it so once again barry thank you so much for your time really appreciate you coming on filter today thank you very much Aaron. it was a wonderful conversation i would just add that uh if you go to the website uh i I've offered to drop into some of those group conversations as well. I can't do it to all of them because I think we're going to have a lot of interest here, but, but I want to keep a finger on the pulse and stay connected with uh, how you all are doing. So thanks very much. Okay, great. Well, uh, I'll link your website in the show notes as well. So you guys, I'll have his website and the book in the show notes. So, all right, great. Well, yeah, thanks for taking the time today. Thanks for listening. I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confusing world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating or review. To catch up the latest from me, you can go to my website, aaronchamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Aaron M. Champ. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Until then, hold fast to the end.